Uh, before uh, we go into our sermon this morning, I'm just feeling led to pray uh, for those uh, who are here and those who are uh, on our prayer chain as well. Um, a prayer is especially for the Mooney family. Uh, Hope, who was six years old, had an open heart surgery uh, this past week, uh, and she is doing well. Thank you for all who have sent her cards uh, and have lifted up in prayer. Uh, would, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Good and gracious God, we come before your presence with thanksgiving. God, we ask that uh, your grace would be over us. God, that your grace would lead us uh, and would sustain us. God, we know that there are so many who are hurting and in our need of our prayers. And for those who are in our circle of concern, we lift up these names to you for hope. For John, Sadar, Gail, Su Suzanne, Lynn, and Wally. For Brittany and Sean. For Barbara. Bernice, Emily, Ralph Shad, and Matt. God, we put these names before you and we ask that they would know that they would feel your presence even as we lift them up. God, we ask that you would continue to be present with them. And God, for all those prayers that are so heavy on our hearts, we lift them to you in this moment of silence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And in your grace, we ask that you would be gracious and answer and hear us. We ask all these things and we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Friends, we are starting a new uh, sermon series uh, called Preach That Sermon. For the past several weeks, we have asked you as a congregation to let us know what you would like us to preach about. And uh, you gave us some suggestions, and uh, here is uh, one of those uh, sermons today. But today, we're going to be talking about predestination and free will. Uh, and you have a little uh, uh, sheet uh, in your bulletins. I would just ask you to kind of hang on to that. Uh, and uh, we'll be kind of working through this acronym called TULIP. And uh, I'm going to be using a lot of um, biblical references, so you can take some notes uh, as you go along as well. And at the end of the sermon, I'm actually kind of opening it up to the floor. Uh, if you have any questions or you want me to further clarify something and you have a question about what I just said, uh, feel free to put your hand up and I will do my best to answer in about 35 seconds. So... I'm going to do my part, all right? So I hope uh, you can do that. So when you think about predestination and free will, um, the age-old question comes alive, and this is it. We need to figure out what came first, the chicken or the egg? Any takers? Anyone? Nope. All right. Okay. So that's, that's what we're constantly kind of struggling with, right? Like what came first? Did the chicken come first or the egg come first? Like, 
when you ask these questions, for some people, when you ask these questions, they are like so excited. They want to get into an argument. And some are like, who cares? I want my omelets. You know, can we just move on from this, right? Like there are all kinds of people in places. And uh, I'm one of those people who does get excited with crazy questions. One question that I've always struggled to answer and I don't know the answer is can God make a rock he cannot lift? Can God make a rock big enough that God himself cannot lift? Think about it. That's, that's an interesting question. We'll kind of keep going in circles trying to figure that out. So when it comes to predestination, here is the question that we need to answer. <clears throat> when it comes to predestination, here is a question that we need to answer. Did God choose me or did I choose God? That is at the heart of this question. Did God choose me or did I choose God? So free will. Did I choose God freely or did God say, nope, you're mine? That is a question that we are going to attempt to answer. Uh, predestination. Uh, the two uh, Protestant theologians who were really influential in creating this doctrine uh, and, uh, and kind of making it a little bit more clearer and articulating it uh, are two German theologians called, uh, one German theologian called Martin Luther. He was a reformer. He was the one who kind of started the Reformation and the Protestant denomination, if you will. Uh, and the other one is John Calvin. He's a French uh, theologian. The churches, the mainline, the two mainline churches that hold this doctrine of predestination is the Lutheran church. Uh, you've seen Lutheran churches in our area. Uh, they kind of believe in predestination uh, and the other ones are the Presbyterian churches as well those are the mainline churches and there are other churches uh, that are that believe in predestination and they kind of call themselves a reformed tradition they say you know we are part of the reformed tradition or the reformed church um, and that is a code word to say we believe in predestination the reformed tradition um, actually developed uh, a document called the Westminster Confessions. And the Westminster Confessions, uh, what they were trying to do with the Westminster Confessions was they were trying to simplify theology for lay people. And they kind of came up with a bunch of statements, Westminster Confession statements, that they would teach kids and adults so that they would know what their church believed in. And I'm going to be making the rest. Uh, so part of that Westminster Confessions uh, came up uh, with this acronym called TULIP. And I'm going to be kind of talking a little bit more about that as well. So predestination arguments um, is at the heart of it. When you're talking about predestination, at the heart of it is this. We're trying to figure out, is God sovereign, right? Like at the heart of the predestination conversation, we need to answer, is our God sovereign? Is our God sovereign? Our God is sovereign over all creation, right? We have songs about that, that there, is, there are no limits to the world that God has created. There is nothing that is not governed by our God. We sing these songs in church about God's sovereign power. He holds the stars in its place. He knows my name even before time began. He has my life in his hands. Like, these 
is something that, that are part of our theology, that are part of our songs. And if you read Psalm 139, it's a prime example that God has everything planned and ordained for us. And the scripture that we read this morning lends itself to that sovereignty of God. Let me read these words again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, the one he loves. Right? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Verse 4. God chose us before the creation of the world, to be blameless in his sight. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption of sonship. Right? Paul here is indicating to the church that is living in the city of Ephesus. Right? Paul is writing this letter to a bunch of people in the city of Ephesus who are Christians. And he's telling them, God has chosen you before the creation of the world. I don't know how many were part of this church that we're reading this letter. Maybe 20 people, 50 people, 500 people. Right? If you read uh, anything about the ancient Near East, you know the city of Ephesus was a big city. And there were Greeks living there. There were Romans there. What about them? Is my question. What about them? What about all those people who are worshiping other gods in the Greek temples and show and we're not Christians? Did God essentially allow them to be eternally eternal damnation for them? That's a question that we need to struggle with when we're looking at the question of predestination. See, this question that question doesn't This is a question we need to struggle with. What about others? What about them? As noted earlier, uh, the Reformed tradition developed this uh, Westminster Confessions that's part of the tulip. So I want to walk through what each one of them means uh, for us uh, and talk through that. The first one is called total depravity. Total depravity is also known as original sin. In Genesis 3, we read uh, that Adam and Eve sinned, uh, and when they sin, the image of God was broken that was within them, right? That is what sin is. Paradise was broken. Sin entered the world, and sin is rampant in this world. And after Adam and Eve sinned, their son Cain killed his brother. And when Cain killed his brother, that led to more murders and more killings. The Bible is filled with stories of exhortation, uh, abuse of power, People doing really mean and cruel things. Human beings are totally depraved. It's easy for us to choose evil. It is easy for us to do sinful things rather than choosing something good. It's so easy for us to hurt someone than to speak words of restoration. 
Now Paul in Romans 7 uh, chapter uh, verses, uh, verse 14, this is what he says. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Paul here is the champion of all apostles. Paul is known to be this man who can speak uh, God's eloquent truths. He struggled, he was persecuted, and yet he still chose to follow Jesus in all that he did. He is a remarkable saint. And yet, Paul proclaims that he's a slave to sin. How many of us can identify with what Paul is saying in this statement in our own lives? Right? I've never ever taught my child, all four of them, never once did I tell them, I want you to be selfish, keep all your toys to yourself. Right? I've never said that. I've never said, be unkind to your siblings. Talk back to your dad. I've never taught them that. Anyone here? Right? So that is what original sin is. We don't teach our kids, as innocent and loving as they are, we don't ever teach them to sin. How did they learn that? It's called original sin. And those who argue for predestination say that we can, because we are so totally depraved, that we are so sinful and everything in us wants to do that which is bad. Hence, that leads to saying we can never choose God. That's the reason God needs to choose us because on, on our own, we will never be able to choose God. So that is total depravity. The second one is unconditional election. This, again, unconditional election, if you read this morning's scripture, that's part of that as well. That God, there was unconditionally elected certain people to be his sons and daughters. There is no reasoning behind God's election. God chooses for God's good pleasure. Calvin writes, again, um, if, well, while arguing for Calvin, this is the uh, theologian that I was talking about, the French theologian. He, um, one of the things that he said is, you cannot question God as to why one mom is able to breastfeed and one mom is not able to do it. Again, Calvin was writing this in the 1600s. He said, you can't challenge God. God can say this mom can feed her child and this mom cannot. And you can't question God. God will do what he pleases to do. And the other one about unconditional election is when you think about the two thieves that were on the cross. The two thieves that were on the cross, when you, you remember that story. Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's coming towards the end of his life. And in Luke 23, you hear the stories of these two um, individuals who are on the right and the left of Jesus. And one guy mocks Jesus. And one guy thinks that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. That's all. There is nothing that these two thieves that they did was anywhere close to being remorseful or repentful. They didn't do anything. If you read the story, they didn't, they didn't quite really acknowledge for their sin. And yet, Jesus looks at one of them and says, today 
you will be with me in paradise. Why did God choose one over the other? One was given salvation and one was not. Why was the other guy not given salvation? Because it's unconditional election. God can pick and choose what God wants to do. And the next one is called limited atonement. Limited atonement goes um, with unconditional election. Here, what they're saying about limited atonement is Christ's atoning sacrifice was limited for few. Christ dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sin is limited for few. How else can you explain this? How else can you explain this? That someone who grows up in church, who is part of Sunday school, who has heard the gospel story, who has been in confirmation, who has done everything right, how else can you say that they one day decided, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And they walk away from God. How else can you describe it? Christ clearly didn't die for that person's sin. There is a limited atonement. An irresistible grace is the other one. We see that those who have encountered Christ cannot resist his grace. Irresistible grace. There's a people who fall in love with Christ the moment they hear the gospel. That's it. The minute they hear the gospel for the very first time and something clicks in their heart and they cannot say no to the grace of God. Irresistible grace is part of the predestination theology. And the, and the way um, I can share this is a friend of mine, we were in college uh, and uh, we used to have, um, we would meet every Sunday in our church. Uh, we'd sing some praises, uh, you know, declare God's name and would have one of us preach, uh, and we would do that every Saturday night. And um, there was uh, a friend of mine one day, he grew up as a Hindu all his life. He had never heard anything about Jesus. Uh, this was, uh, and one day he was kind of walking by the church. He heard some singing uh, that, that was happening. He kind of like meandered in. Um, no one invited him to church, nothing. He just kind of walked in, sat there. That day, he became a Christian. He said, it just made sense to me. I've never heard about the gospel, but now it makes sense. Irresistible grace. He could not resist God's grace that was given to him. No matter what happens, you cannot resist God's grace. You're thrown to your knees and you accept God into your life. The final one, I need some help with this. Can you all read this out loud because I cannot pronounce it right. I need, you, I need your help. There you go, that word, all right? So perseverance, I can't say it. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, what this word means uh, is also, uh, the one way to look at it is once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you've said yes to Jesus, you're always saved. No matter what happens in your life, you will always be saved. Once you said yes to Jesus, that's it. You're going to have it. Once you've said yes to Jesus, no matter what you do for the rest of your life, you will go to, go to heaven. And the way this is kind of uh, spoken of is there's like a 50, it's like a 20-20 catch, right? 
The reason once you're saved, you're always saved is because you can never say no to God's grace. Am I making sense? Right? Because there's a catch there. Like, you can never say no to God. It's irresistible grace because of that. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So even if you're saved and, you know, you can go ahead, go ahead and live your life however you want to because God elected you, you are going to go to heaven. So in a nutshell, this is what the predestination arguments are. And here is my response to the doctrine of predestination. And again, uh, people have spent their life's work, like people have written PhD dissertations on it, and I've written plenty of books on it, and I'm not doing justice to the doctrine of predestination. I have my own biases. The reason I have my own biases is, uh, is because I'm a United Methodist pastor, and I believe in free will. So here is my response to um, the doctrine of predestination. Total depravity. I agree. I agree with this doctrine of total depravity. I absolutely 100% agree with total depravity. I believe we are all sinful people. We are all broken. No one is better than the other. We are all sinful people. But John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, uh, also believed in total depravity. But he agreed with Calvin in this. But where he made a difference or where he kind of explained things differently is he also believed in prevenient grace. Prevenient grace means the grace that goes ahead of you. Prevenient grace. John Wesley believed in prevenient grace. That God's grace is always calling us into a relationship with him. Yes, we are we cannot choose God, and yes, it's easy for us to do bad things and good things. And so God's grace always is going ahead of us and calling us into a relationship with him. God's grace is moving in your life even before you know it. Unmerited favor. God's grace is going ahead of you and is calling you in to a relationship with you. And God is constantly constantly calling each one of us into a relationship. The second one is unconditional election. I'm not sure uh, if I can agree with uncondi unconditional election when I read the Gospels. When I read the Gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I, when I read those stories, I don't see this as viable. The reason for that is every football game, baseball game you go to, you see John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. Go ahead. For God so loved the world, and his son believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Right? It does not read, for God so loved the few. Right? For God so loved the few, that he gave his only begotten son. No, for God so loved the world. And again, it's the same thing with limited atonement as well. That's where I kind of kind of go back to that John 3, 16 verse. For God so loved the world. Limited atonement cannot be that. And again, then when you read the Gospels and read John 12, uh, there's a story where the disciples were coming to Jesus, and there were a couple of Greeks who were not part of the Jewish uh, faith. 
they wanted to come and be with Jesus and kind of hear what he has to say. And Jesus uh, says this to his disciples. He says, when I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That means when I be lifted up, he was talking about the cross. When he was lifted up on the cross and when he died on that cross, he was going to draw all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That to me uh, is the key there for limited atonement. Irresistible grace. God's grace, we, we, God, so we say God's grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God's grace is still given to us. God's grace is given to us even when we don't deserve it. But the inverse of that is that there are certain people that can resist grace. Right? There are certain people, the inverse of irresistible grace is there are certain people can resist grace. And I don't see that to be true. I think grace is given to all of us, not just to few. And the last one, once saved, always saved. Once I've said yes to Jesus, I can go do whatever I want to do, and I'll still be a Christian, and I'll still go to heaven. What this does to me is it takes away the relationship between me and God. See, anytime the way I understand my faith is that I am in relationship with God, that God walks with me. I pray to my God, and God hears my cries. He is there with me in my times of laughter. God and I have a relationship, and that is what we as Christians do. That's what we are called to do. That is how we see who God is. And this takes that away from that. What is the point of having a relationship? It's, it's almost like the, the illustration that I like to give, and again, I'm trying to simplify this a little bit, is, is my kid saying, oh, no matter what, I'm going to get dad's money when he dies. It's not a lot, but now <laughs> right it doesn't matter if i talk to him or not i know you know i'm in the will it kind of negates the relationship piece of it for me and and that's kind of where um where this kind of uh, falls apart uh for me uh once saved always saved and the reason i'm united methodist is because of that concept of grace that god's grace is always there and the reason every time we celebrate Holy Communion, that's something that, that I say, that this is God's grace is being given to each one of us to make us stronger in our walk, to heal us, and to be there with us. And God's love is unconditional and for everyone. So the friends, the question that you all need to answer and kind of answer for yourself is this. Did God choose me or did I choose God? All right, are there any questions that you were thinking about as you, as I was saying? Yes, Kelly. Okay. Yes, predestination is very much part of the, um, I mean, they don't say predestination as much as like, they would use the word sovereignty of God or, uh, the providence of God, that you've heard those words, so they're kind of fall into that category or that realm. So, yeah. 
bow your heads and pray. God, we thank you for your grace that surrounds us each day. We thank you that your grace ran ahead of us and called us into a relationship with you. God, we ask that your grace would be present with us, that your grace would strengthen us to say more yes to you, to be holy. God, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Friends, at this time, I want to invite you to worship our God with our tithes and our offering. We give to God as a token of our gratitude for all that God has given us. Let us worship our God.